Welcome to the Future Podcast. I'm your producer, Greg Gunn, and I have good news for you. Chris recorded a special intro for this episode, so you don't have to keep listening to me. Here's the man himself. What do you think about when you hear the word virtual reality? I I think this has been part of the pop culture, news, entertainment cycle, but it seems like it's farther away than it really is, that there are cumbersome headsets that you have to wear, low-fidelity images, and poorly designed experiences. So it's for this reason that I'm really excited to talk to my next guest, who's all about virtual reality, about what the promises are, and how to use this in different applications. And I think especially during this time when we're all sheltering in place, self-quarantine, that virtual reality starts to make a lot more sense. I'm fascinated from the point of view of an educator that how VR can actually connect people at great distances to experience things that they could not otherwise experience. Take, for example, Jurassic Park. Like That was an amazing fantasy to be able to be amongst the dinosaurs. But now with VR tech, you can actually do that. You can go from the very big, like a dinosaur, a giant T-Rex, or actually zoom real down into the microscopic and see cells and things on an atomic level move about you and interact with them in ways that you could never do before. So as an educator, I'm super excited. And if you go on the opposite end of the spectrum, where you look at VR depicted as a dystopian future, for example, in the film Ready Player One, the world has kind of retreated into VR because real life is much worse than that. That people in abject poverty can actually have an experience that's much richer and better than the reality that they live in. So in that dystopian future, it depicts people living in slums, but while they're in and plugged into the virtual reality world, they're all equals and everybody has a shot at a better future. Enough of me talking. I'm super excited to introduce you to my next guest, Joanna Popper. So Joanna, can you just introduce yourself and tell people what it is that you do? Sure. Thanks for having me here today. I'm excited to be here with you and with all of your, all of the listeners. My name is Joanna Popper and I am at HP, and I am the global lead of virtual reality for location-based entertainment, and I work on our all of our go-to-market planning. I've been at HP a little over two years, and prior to working in virtual reality at HP, I was at NBC Universal for a long time. I led our consumer marketing for Telemundo, and I was at Singularity University for a bit. Wow, that's like a heavy title, Global Head of VR for Location-Based Entertainment at HP. So I have this question, this burning question is, how did you get this job? How did I get this job? Yeah, it's like, what got you here? Sure. Yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell, definitely tell that story. Um, Well, I will, I'll, you know, just start with defining what that means, because I'm not, you know, not sure if everyone knows what it means. But so location-based entertainment would be anywhere that we go out of home for entertainment. So cinema, museum, arcade, uh, family entertainment center, cruises, any, anything like that um, right now. And I, I don't know when this when this goes live, but right now, most of us around the world are not going any places like that, unfortunately. Right. Um, but, you know, that, but it, it, there has been a great deal of interest 
in bringing virtual reality into environments like that to drive additional traffic, to drive new audiences, to drive innovation, and in some cases, cut costs. Um, and so HP has a whole suite of technology, virtual reality headsets, virtual reality computer backpacks, so, so VR, PC backpacks, as well as uh, t- desktops and laptops that all drive virtual reality. Um, so, so that's what you know this job is. It's working with our partners, working with companies all around the world to make sure that they are using the best technology to create their creative and innovative, fun experiences you know, for, for family and friends that come into all these different environments. Um, but to go back to answer your question, you know, how, how I came in, into this job, you know, I would say that it really started, uh, you know, this, the, this journey probably started with my work at NBC Universal. Um, and actually, even, even prior to NBC Universal, I was a was at Wall Street in my first job and I was a McKinsey consultant and I had another marketing job. So, uh, but, but in terms of, you know, my journey into this, and this, I would say, really started with NBC Universal. Um, and so, you know, throughout my career, I've always been working on you know what is emerging and what's next whether it was emerging emerging markets in wall street emerging audiences at nbcu and telemundo emerging products like at, at nbcu universal i was there from 2007 to 2015 and that's a time that the way we all interacted with tele- television content completely shifted and the way that we distributed our content completely shifted, you know, went from mm-hmm. show up at eight o'clock on a Tuesday, you know, seven central to watch your favorite show to you'd want, you know, we started watching on VOD and streaming and, you know, whenever, wherever that suited, suited us. Um, and at the same time, the way that we marketed all of our programs completely shifted. And so, you know, um, we moved from marketing tools you know, such as only television, radio, print, and and out of home and events, to you know, a very broad assortment of different digital platforms, and to to market our our content um, and to connect with audiences where they were. Um, so you know, during that time, we did our first SEO, our first SEM, our first view, you know, VOD marketing, text message marketing, influencer marketing, all the social media platforms marketing, um, and so. I got really intrigued by that very fast pace of change that, you know, what is next? How are we connecting with audiences? How are we telling stories? What are, what's the way that you're bringing, we're bringing together storytelling and innovation with new platforms and new technology. And so when I left NBC, when I left NBC Universal, I moved to the, the Bay and worked at Singularity University, which is a company around uh, around training leaders on the future of science tech innovation. And mm. um, while I was there, I had actually been exposed to virtual reality already when I was working at NBCU and, and you know, seeing, seeing the power of it and, you know, the immersion that you could have. Um, but then when I moved into to the Bay, I got really clear that that's what I wanted to do next. Um, and I started doing these coffees. I called them like my, my 30 coffees. Um, you know, I got really clear that I that the technology was super fascinating to me, and I wanted to be working on the cutting edge of what was coming. Um, but I also wanted to be deep in, you know, again in the in the content and in the storytelling and working with the, the creatives on bringing that to life. Um, and so I started these reaching out to people in the virtual reality space, and um, did you know like thirty like I said thirty coffees with people who worked 
in the field and I was, went to all of the conferences and festivals, you know, similar ones that I'd already gone to you know, as a television executive or as a tech executive, but, you know, go in with the, the, the intention of seeing as much virtual reality content as I possibly could. And really quickly into that, I got very clear for a number of reasons that I wanted to work in VR and immersive computing as the net is, is my next role. Um, and then pretty soon after that, um, I ended up get, get, getting asked to do talks and advisory and consulting. And then pretty really soon after that, HP found me and I've been at HP ever since. So that is how I came to this role. <laughs> I would expect nothing less than, than such a storied kind of path and how you're able to transition from one thing to the next. But the thing that I kept hearing from you is you seem to be a very curious person looking for emerging things and very light on your feet as the landscape of television and how we consume content changes. So VR seems to be like the next thing. So I have a bunch of questions. Now, I know a lot of what you're talking about is based on location. So I, I know that we can't do that right now. And I, I want to talk a little bit about, since you brought this up too, because I, I think by the time this episode airs, we will still kind of be sorting out life pre-post-COVID and, mm -hmm. and, and how to adjust. So if we just take the, the location-based part of it and just talk broadly about VR, what do you think this kind of work-from-home, self-quarantine thing might present opportunities for people who are developing things for VR and how, how might they adapt to that? So can you put on your advisory consultant hat and say, like, if you're in the VR space, how might we adapt to what's going on, the new reality that we might be living in for some time? Sure. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a, you know, very, very unusual times mm -hmm. and, you know, requiring agility and flexibility and adaptation for, you know, so many of us all around the world. And, you know, first, first, you know, when I think about this, I, I think first, and foremost, you know, for all the, the essential workers, the healthcare workers, the government officials, the the people working in, in grocery and retail and, you know, people working to make sure that we all have our electricity and internet and construction and, you know, all of those really essential workers who in many cases are even putting their own lives on the line to, to um, make sure that we're healthy and we're safe and, and we and we all as a, as a population have everything we need. So first, you know, always think about them first and appreciate all the amazing work that they're doing. Um, First and foremost, um, so that's mm -hmm. so, so. And then when I when I turn to you know our space and and what's happening in our space, you know, I, I, when I when I started at HP, I was 100% focused on on location based entertainment, and that that was true for about a year and a half. I would say about six to nine months ago, I started to um, work more broadly just on our overall go to market, um, and just to, to take a step back. First, and you know why, why is HP in this market, and what is what does it mean to us? So, you know, HP was actually founded 81 years ago. We were the the first Silicon Valley company. We were the you know really part of the history of and the founding the foundation of Silicon Valley as we know it today. We had our two founders in a garage creating technology for Walt Disney for movie Fantasia. So it's a really beautiful legacy story around technology and computing, a really beautiful legacy story around media and entertainment and, you know, working with the giant, you know, that, that was Walt Disney. Uh, so, you know, it's since then, HP has been very focused on inventing and reinventing technology and, you know, 
moving through all of the different phases of computing, right? From from you know the original phases to PC desktop, and now we're in the mobile phase. And so we we see, and, and most other large tech companies see the next wave of computing as being immersive computing. Um, and you know, we also we focus on immersive computing, you know, AR, VR. Uh, where we have heavy focus on data science and AI, as well as 3D 3D printing. So that's that's kind of where we see the that's where we see the future of computing going. And so with it, what that means for us is that for a company like HP that's been around and been a, been a leader in so many things for 81 years, it's really important for us to continue to grow, invest, and focus on what that next wave of computing will be to be continue to be a leader in, in this field. And so. You know, we've focused on the the pipeline of you know design, create, and experience virtual reality. And there's been five different industries that w- where we see the most uh, most immediate need and traction, and where the ROI for virtual reality really makes the most sense right now. And those are you know location based entertainment is one, um, architecture, engineering, and construction are product development is another. The third is healthcare. The fourth is education, and then the fifth is actually less of an industry, more of a vertical, which is which is training, you know, enterprise training. I mean, that can grow across. You know, that can be oil and gas, that can be uh, first responders or military, I and mean, really anywhere where you know the where the situation you get the ROI out of virtual reality training because of that it's a dangerous situation or an unsafe situation or it may be um, you know a role playing situation where it makes where it's more comfortable to do do the training in virtual reality first um, or you know and then and, and then what what underlines all of those is that the retention you have in virtual reality is a lot higher because you your your body and your mind have the sensation of actually doing the activity and we've you know we've mm. seen really strong data um, that points to something like you know that when you read a book you retain 5% of what you retain uh, of what you read when you listen to a presentation you'll retain 10% so that means all the listeners out there have to decide which 10% of this they want to retain because that's all they're going <laughs> that's all they're going to come away with um, but when you do a virtual reality experience you know that that spatial interaction the way it lodges the memory is as if you've actually done contributes to a retention of about 75% so you know huge gains for businesses who are training workers or, you know, get preparing somebody for, for going into the job. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where our, that's where our focus has been for HP is working with, with companies in, in all of these different areas. Now, mm-hmm. you know, moving. So, so for us, you know, location-based entertainment is a very, very important part of what we're doing. And, you know, we're, we're rooting for them strongly and we're, you know, hoping, you know, for, for, for many, many reasons, of course, that the situation passes, as quickly and as as um, safely as possible, and um, you know that the you know when safe people are able to go start going back to businesses and back back towards what our new normal will be in our new life. Um, and that said, you know dur- during this time, I think that some of the really underlying reasons that virtual reality makes sense and the way you can use virtual reality reality to learn, collaborate, and connect, um, you know. At distance or when you're not in the same environment, but you can go into a virtual environment together and experience virtual collaboration 
virtual remote learning, virtual connection are you know the the use case, the return on investment for for those types of um, experiences. You know, we we've already been seeing it, and it is even further underlined right now, and becomes that much more more relevant in the situation that we're in right now. Okay, so I'm trying to process all that you just told me. That was a lot for me to kind of take. <laughs> Don't worry, you're just take ten percent. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to like circle back to the original question, which is how 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 might a company think about using virtual reality yeah. in in an everyday business, not at some giant enterprise level? Because our audience isn't. In the, I don't imagine many of them being like that. And if I'm a a medium sized business, say north of $30 million or something small to medium size. How might I start to think about this? Because I think a lot of people are thinking or imagining life back to normal, but I just Mm -hmm. don't think that normal will ever exist the way it'll be the new normal, right? Because it might take a couple of years for us to have a vaccine or a cure for this. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we have that, there will be the next flu. And I think we start, if we're smart, we're going to be ahead of this and think, okay, if my business is exposed to the the um, the ability for people to come and visit me in person, I might start thinking about something different. Like we'll get out of this, but maybe this is an opportunity for me to develop mm-hmm. a slightly different or adjacent business model that can fulfill the needs of the people I serve. But it's also kind of taking into consideration that the new normal might be like we can't gather in large spaces again. Right. Yeah, I know that everything that you're, yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's where, where I started, started to talk, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely talk about that in a lot more detail. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, there's a couple of places and the way we think we're thinking about, you know, where does it make sense to experience a virtual collaboration in virtual reality, say, versus, you know, where does it make sense to do a Zoom or a Skype or house party or Instagram link live, or, you know, there's different, different, different formats. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a couple of different places that we see that it really makes a lot of sense to use virtual reality versus another option. And these here are, you know, three or three of them. Okay. Okay, So one would be where, and, and, you know, I know your people in your audience have all different backgrounds and different companies and different industries. Right? So there, right. there might be some that, that work for different people, depending on what they're doing. So if part mm-hmm. of your the job is to look at, to interact with, to create any sort of spatial or 3D model mm-hmm. and or and review those models. Right. So what, what will be examples of those? So some examples of those would be if you're in any type of product creation, product design, product review, mm-hmm. you know, so that could be from automotive to, I mean, really to architecture, engineering and construction, anyone in those types of businesses, real estate, to any, or just anyone creating a new product that is going through that uh, creation or review right now. And so there are some collaboration platforms out there like Enscape, like, um, like Gravity Sketch, like The Wild, like Trezzy, like Thea, where that, you know, either for product design and review or for architecture, engineering, construction, that you can go into virtual reality, you can create and then review the the products. And so, you know, 
all automotive companies are doing this right now. All you know, taking the the CAD designs, creating, reviewing in virtual reality. And so, by the time that you actually like create the real product, you're able to you're able to greatly decrease the cost and increase the efficiency of that mm-hmm. design review. So that's one sort of bucket. You know, any anyone who's creating a product and needs to have it reviewed and, and um, especially right now. You know, that already makes makes sense in, you know, even not even when we're not in this environment that we're in now, but it makes even more sense. You know, like our for our example, our internal product designers are right now, you know, in the past, they, you know, if they were creating a new the industrial design team, creating a new product and reviewing that product. They would probably go into a you know, behind closed doors, secret you know meeting. Nobody's allowed to bring their phones. Nobody's allowed to take pictures and review live what what the product was, but now they can't do that. Right. So they're looking to virtual reality to be able to do that and have that same review and, and and even greater efficiencies than they, than they could in in another way. So that's a big group that we see as a lot of potential. So for, for people who are maybe a little put off by VR or don't understand it. So I'm, I'm trying to visualize this in my mind so that our audience can retain more of this conversation so I imagine the lead engineers, the designers of a car, they're wearing headsets wherever they are in the in the world. So without even building a physical clay model, they can look at something and really kind of appreciate it from all angles and different lighting conditions and and sort of get almost to that point in which it feels real to them and make design decisions based on that. And then they could speed up their design process and, and iterate and pick out little things that they might not see otherwise flipping through a 3D model on a computer which is traditionally how these things are done, right? You know, exactly. You mentioned a lot about anywhere. Now, this is just trying to reach out to the entrepreneurs, the creators out, out listening to this, that anybody that needs to interact with a three-dimensional thing might want to start thinking about this and how you could translate your experiences through this 3D immersive environment. I also think of it just not for design and review, but for, for marketing. When you mentioned real estate, one of our clients they're a multi-billion dollar real estate, commercial real estate developer. And they're always looking for ways to talk about a space that doesn't quite exist yet because they're they're developing it most of the time like from the ground up or rehabbing an old space. But they need to start to lease the building way before they even break ground. And so they're using traditional tools, two-dimensional photo renderings, uh, those kinds of things. Whereas if they could just step into the space and look at it. So I, I see tremendous potential if... If you want to use VR as a marketing tool, this is something you should be waking up to right now. That's it. Yeah, that's a great example. We're we're working with a number of companies who who, who do that. Um, you know, for for example, high end apartment buildings that you know that are not yet created, but they're selling them pre construction. Mm-hmm. You know, so many of them are creating a virtual reality experience to give people who are going to you know spend a million dollars, X million dollars on this new apartment, what is, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And, and even in, by doing that, they're even able to, you know, try it out with marble floors, with wood floors, with right. red, red walls, with, you know, wallpaper walls, like just, you know, try different things and also, you know, have, you know, get to check out the view from different, different angles. And it's really, really, it gives them a way to imagine themselves in that environment in a much more real way. 
So that would eliminate, I think, a lot of potential waste. And I also think about, like, when I want to go and see something, I have to get in my car, especially in Los Angeles, drive in traffic. Just by doing this, I would probably, if, if this were done at scale, it would reduce the carbon footprint. Like, I could instantly be there. I wouldn't be consuming any fossil fuels. I wouldn't be contributing to carbon dioxide. There's there's a lot of benefits here. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we, and, and on that example, we actually... Um, you, you know, we, we love to say that we drink drink our own champagne and HP. So we were building <laughs> a new a new uh, office in Houston, and we we hired a company called Taya to build out what our office was going to look like. And, you know, in that case, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't you know, sell the office. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't what you know to market the office. But in a way, it was to market the office to the employees to show them, right. okay, this is what the office is going to look like. This is what it's going to be. And you know, they took our HP our HP headsets and HP VR backpacks and people went to the construction site and were able to walk around even in VR and see like, okay, this is what the hallway is going to be. And this is where my office will be. And so it was a really, really cool experience for for them. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned the backpack a couple of times. Is this an, uh, an end to end complete solution to experience VR things? So the backpack, so so for a lot of high-end virtual reality and certain, uh, you know, for especially heavy files and, you know, where, where you know, serious pipeline um, workflows, you know, like mm-hmm. real estate and many, many training experiences, you still need to plug in your headset to a high-performance computer. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are there are there's some programs and some things that work work decently and um, you know on on a standalone headset, but for for definitely for a lot of training experiences and for real estate and product design review and some you know some of the ones that we're talking about right now, um, you know you have to be plugged into a to a high end computer or a, a high performance computer let's say, and so. Um, you know, you can you can have a, a workstation that does that. You can have a laptop that does that. Um, but in in cases where people want to be able to move around freely, like in that example I just gave of going to the actual real estate uh, construction space and walk around to see where their environment would be, or you know, if it's automotive and you want to have the experience walking around the car, walking around the virtual car, um, it, it makes a lot of sense to use a, a VR backpack to do that. You have that experience of high performance computing, high end headset. Our, our HP Reverb headset is is, is super high resolution. It's twenty one sixty by twenty one sixty per eye. Um, we've had that out in the market for about a year, and we just announced uh, we just announced a new headset that's going to be coming, um, and it's an exciting new partnership with Valve and and Microsoft. We we haven't announced a lot of details yet, um, but we mm-hmm. did it. We just teased about two weeks ago this new partnership, and so. You know, lot, lots to look forward to there. And if people want more information, they can go to hp.com backslash reverb, R-E-V-E-R-B, to, to sign up to get mm. more notifications, more information on that one. Um, so yeah, so, th- so th- those are the types of, you know, we're very focused on this high, high performance, high resolution. So, you know, when you're thinking about things like product design and product quality that you were, we were talking about earlier, when you mentioned the lighting and, you know, all of, it's really important that you have, high resolution so that the product looks the most realistic possible. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of understand this and visualize this, is the backpack that you're talking about a very high powered, for for lack of a better term, laptop where it's self-powered, there's no cords, and that drives the display unit that's on your head? Do yes. It, 
and and is it also a lighter headset now because you're not wearing the computer on your head? Yeah, the the you know, the, the current reverb that we have is, is only 1.1 pounds and it's designed ergonomically so that a lot of the weight is on the back of your head whereas some other mm-hmm. headsets are either a lot more a lot heavier or a lot of the yep. weight is on the front of your head. Um and so, mm-hmm. you know, if you're wearing it for a long time, it can, you know, hurt your neck or just feel very uncomfortable or very hot on your head. Yeah. Yeah, and, then and so, so doing external... the combination with a backpack, it gives you that ability to work in it for for longer and to have that that free roam experience. Mm-hmm. And are there trackers that are also used in conjunction to define the, the space that you move through? Well, it depends on, on what you're doing. the The beauty mm-hmm. of the HP Reverb is, you know, in the, the partnership that we have with Microsoft, is it's the headset is inside out tracked. It's Windows Mixed Reality tracking, so you don't need mm-hmm. to have external cameras or external um, base stations. Um, you I you see. can choose if you want to. You can, you know, some people end up working with other systems like OptiTrack or Vicon or, or, or something else if they want to track many other objects in the space. But you don't, um, you know, that, that's on, the, on a use case basis. If you if you just take, say, an HP Reverb plus the HP VR backpack, you're good to go. Is, is this something that's available for purchase for to consumer or is it a B2B model? It is available for purchase to consumer. You can go on our website, hp.com backslash go backslash VR and they're there. And how much does a headset and a backpack cost? The headset is there's two versions, but it's about six hundred or six fifty, and then backpack. I mean, it really depends on the configuration, but um, mm-hmm. and so and and there's different prices at different moments. Roughly, how much is it? It's around three thousand ish, roughly. Okay, so is it three thousand plus the six hundred, thirty six hundred, mm-hmm. or is it three thousand yeah. total? Okay, so about thirty six hundred, you can get a self contained unit and kind of experience something. Yeah, and the, I mean the backpack you can use as your, you know, it's 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 really basic. You can you can um, you can set it up on your desk. It's based really like a very mini high performance computer. So you can set it up mm-hmm. in in a, a it's kind of like a platform that you can a dock that you can put it into, and you you can have it there running, you know, doing all your regular normal work. And then when you want to, you can you can take it out of the dock and put it on the harness and and use it as a backpack. Okay. So that was point one. Can't wait to hear point two and point two and three. <laughs> yeah. So point one was you know looking at spatial, spatial or three D models for design review and, and you know, marketing for for something that you know either doesn't exist, does is, is pre visualization or doesn't exist today. Yes. The so point two would be where learning something in three D or spatial computing helps retain that information. And so that would be across, you know, education, across enterprise training, healthcare training, um, you know, for example, on the education side, if learning about biology or anatomy or chemistry or physics in 3D makes, you know, contributes to the the retention of that knowledge then that you know that that's really helpful for educators and for students mm-hmm. so there's there's some companies there's a company like called for example called victory xr that is has classes that they're offering in in a platform called engage where you can go in and take an anatomy class um, it also could make sense for you know in, in a class say an archaeology class 
uh, where, you know, you, maybe you can't, maybe even if you went to Egypt and you wanted to take a look at this a tomb that you're, that you're discussing and learning about, you might not even be allowed there because, you know, it's, it's too fragile at this point for people to, to for a lot of people to go in. But, it, you know, there's, there's a variety of companies that have done 3D scans of, of some of some of the tombs or some of these these precious historical sites. And so in virtual reality, without having to fly to Egypt or fly to wherever, where, you know, wherever the, the site is, you're able to go into a headset and ex- have that experience, you know, from the comfort of your own home or your, your own school. You know. Right. I could see this as being very powerful for connecting people across great distances mm-hmm. and make it make education a lot more affordable. Like I assume that there's economies of scale. Like once a certain number of people, like it hits uh, mainstream, then the units and all that stuff will get more powerful and lighter and smaller and, and less expensive. And then you can go and experience things in in the natural world that you might actually cause harm to it by being in its presence. Like I, I remember being in Egypt, looking at the mummies, it's all under like temperature controlled rooms. They can only let so many people in. You can only get so close. And it's a fairly limited experience. But if the the fidelity of the image and the experience that you're having is close or approximation of reality, then we've kind of blurred that line and we're getting there. I could also see this maybe removing the need for zoos, like oh, for zoos, yeah. in captivity. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need to do that if we can have this experience um, in the Serengeti or wherever else yeah. in these natural places, right? And absolutely total comfort and safety of our own home, but really getting up close to to animals or things that would be very dangerous for us to be around. Right. And also not putting the animals in danger themselves. Exactly. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey, Ben Burns from the future here. If you don't recognize my voice, you might know me from our YouTube channel as the friendly guy with the big beard. Yep, that's me. Listen, the future's mission is to teach a billion creatives how to make money doing what they love without feeling gross about it. And let's be honest, historically, we creative types are great at producing the work, but not so great at running the business, especially when it comes to things like sales, marketing, and money. I know, personally, I used to struggle with all of those. Now, fortunately for you, though, we have a slew of courses and products designed specifically to help you run your business better. These are tools like the Complete Case Study and the Perfect Proposal. These things are there to help you attract new clients and then wow them with a thorough and professional presentation. Now, you can go even deeper with one of our business courses like Project Management, How to Find Clients, and the Intensive Business Bootcamp. Check out all of our courses and products about running a creative business by visiting thefuture.com slash business. Welcome back to our conversation with Joanna Popper. You know, I gave a couple different examples, you know, uh, for oil and gas, mining, um, first responders, military. So our, our former Secretary of Defense said that he wanted to make sure that any any soldier that we would put in harm's way had been in 20 bloodless battles before we would send mm. them to give them the best mm-hmm. possible chance to come home safely. And so the way that that he saw it and the arm the armed forces saw it is is 
what better way to create a bloodless battle than putting somebody in virtual reality for, for that simulation? Yeah. And so uh, firefighters, you know, various uh, police and other uh, first responders, as well as armed forces, are all doing different types of training um, you know, for de-escalate a situation, for um, active shooter, and and variety of others to create that most realistic experience that you could have without actually being in that live situation. So those are some examples where you know safety is is in danger. You know, not not exactly the same as a zoo, but you know another situation where sa- where safety right. and and preparing somebody is 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 incredibly important. Um, and then on, you know, oil and gas right. or mining, you know, you don't want to send somebody onto an oil rig or down in a mine if they haven't been trained um, appropriately. And so, mm-hmm. uh, again, virtual reality is a, is a relatively cost effective and super efficient way to train people and, and you know, have that very high retention that we, I talked about earlier and to have the experience of what needs to be done live as, as a memory, you know, like a muscle memory, so that when you are in the real life situation, you're prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Even, even I've you know, heard of examples, I was visiting with a company in Australia, and they were creating, there, there had been somebody who'd been burned in a kitchen, um, and they hadn't been appropriately trained on how to properly use the, the stove and the oven and, um, you know, in a, in a work environment. And so they were now creating a virtual reality training. So, you know, you don't have to, so people don't have to be around a hot stove until they're really well trained for it. Yeah. As you were talking there, my mind started spinning. It's like when you're talking about fire, firefighters or first responders or military applications, a couple things going on here. We we know because I, I get into this as well. Any any coach knows this. Through repetition, you 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 achieve mastery, and you don't want to be in harm's way a thousand times. But if you can do it through through the the kind of safety of virtual reality, chances are you're gonna you're gonna be less. Um, less stressed in that situation and you're going to know because you've done this a thousand times before i also think thought about it for therapeutic uses where somebody's had some traumatic experiences where through carefully designed programs therapists could use this to kind of bring you back within a safe controlled environment and allow you to kind of be re-exposed to it to examine it and then hopefully to get over whatever it is that you're traumatized by yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a number of really um, r- interesting examples along those lines. There's there's, there's Skip Rizzo, who's at, who's in um, at Los Angeles, who's working with veterans, um, veterans with PTSD, and so you know, we put them back in, into virtual reality, into an experience, you know, what, and, and kind of you know, kind of identify the traumatic experience, and so you know, like let's put you in, were you in a Hummer? Were you on the street? Were you, what, mm-hmm. what time of day was it? What was the environment? Was it a town square? Was it a beach? Was it, you know, near a, near a market? And so, you know, were there other people with you? And so put, so, you know, works with the veterans, you know, and, and of course, plus, plus, you know, therapy and other, other work that they're doing to put you back into the situation and identify the trauma and then work that through with you. Um, another really moving example that I've um, from a doctor I've spoken to at, at Limbix, and the doctor was working with with somebody who had who had a fear of flying, and they they worked with him and they they put him into a virtual reality headset and broke down you know what's the process of going 
you know, what's the process of flying? Okay, let's let's put you in right. a headset and, and have the experience inside that headset of, okay, we're packing for the trip. And then now we're driving to the airport and now we're parking and now we're going, checking in and going through TSA. Okay, and now it's, you know, boarding the plane. And by doing that, you know, putting each, going into each experience in virtual reality, they were able to determine that the actual fear was a social anxiety that's happened ever since 9-11, every time this person gets on a plane, that he, he has the perception that people are looking at him in a certain way and you know that they feel uncomfortable with him because of his, his appearance. Um, and, the, and so they were able to identify that his actual fear wasn't a fear of flying, but it's the, the, uh, perception, you know, and it's, and it's a really sad story, you know, a sad, super sad story that for however this person looks, he has this perception now that people don't, you know, look at him in a distrustful manner every time he gets on the plane. And so they were able to break that down, find what the real issue was, which wasn't actually a fear about flying, but it was about that social perception and then work through that, you know, through, through other types of therapy. Mm. Great. So what's point three? So, okay. So, so that was, so that was, so point one was around using spatial models and product design or review. But a point two was around using uh, spatial or 3D models in and around, um, around learning and, and retention and training. And then point three would be really anywhere where that immersion, that interactivity, um, that connection and that feeling of presence can be achieved in a greater way in virtual reality than through another form of medium. So, you know, I don't know if you've tried out some of the the virtual collaboration social apps like Altspace or um, or VR Chat or Rec Room or Big Screen. But in, in those, you're able, you know, from wherever you are around the world to go in with other people. You're, you're depicted as avatars and, you know, you can watch a movie together. You can play basketball together. You can play paintball. You can play dodgeball. You can, uh, you know, hang out at a bar, wow. you know. And and you know, right now that's incredibly valuable because you know, right now we're only able to you know do Zoom calls or house party calls or that calls with people, um, and so and you, you can't play basketball or ping pong or you know many of these other things on those, and so it offers you this ability to have a, a different level of presence and a different level of interaction. Um, and so the av- the avatars are fun, and you get to you know make decide how you look, and some of them are pretty realistic. Um, you know, you can make yourself look like you and then other ones, it's more, you know, you're choosing between a hot dog and a mushroom and a giant unicorn. And it's more of a sort of fantasy fun, <laughs> what you're looking like, yeah. um, you know, you can live out your inner, inner unicorn or, or whatever, whatever that may be. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, and, and there, you know, there, a lot of these are still fairly early stage, you know, you don't, the, 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 the connection of, you know, you don't really have like sort of like eye to eye contact and you don't have the emo- the emotive ability um, yet that that you would as look looking at each other you know one on one but you know that's something that a lot of companies you know HP included is work is working on heavily um, and you know there'll be definitely great strides in in that area as well. Again, as you were talking, I guess my imagination starts to run wild, and I really wanted to have you as a guest on our show because there are going to be creative people out there who this conversation may spark a brand new business model for them. And the more we can mind that, I think the better off because sometimes it just takes a couple of steps to connect the dots. And I was sitting here thinking like, 
I have a fear of heights and I did try a VR experience before and it is really damn convincing. I have to say, even though the graphics weren't super high fidelity as the scaffolding went up the building, I'm not sure if you've done this demo before. Yeah. You go up the building and you're like, oh my God, that sense of vertigo. (laughs) And then the, the chain that holds you back breaks and it's... And then you look across it and you're like, wow, this is, I'm, I feel like I'm going to fall. And if you take that jump, so things like extreme sports, I can imagine if they were to create a, um, a bungee jump or a Olympic level skier doing something or a snowboarder and you're able to experience things like this, that's pretty cool. I also think that especially the travel and hospitality industry are hit pretty hard by what's going on right now. And what's life going to be like after this, that a lot of the experiences of travel include sightseeing. And if, if you are your transportation company, airline, car rental, uh, you, you have an Airbnb, maybe, maybe there are other ways for people to experience what they come to your city or country for that you can somehow create. I think there's a lot of opportunity here. There, yeah, there, there really are so many different opportunities. And I love, I love the creative way that you think there's, um, you mentioned you mentioned so many different things. You mentioned sports. You mentioned mm-hmm. cruises. You know, there's there's um, the Olympics. You know, there's there's examples from all over the world. You know, the German national soccer team uh, or football, as I would say, uh, you know, trained in virtual reality. You know, like trained the goalies of you know. If you think if you think about it, you know, as a goalie, you. I mean, I think you have something like a fifty you know fifty percent chance of choosing to go in the right direction when you're when you have a a penalty kick coming at you. Um, so mm-hmm. if you can, you know, if you can train your muscle memory in virtual reality to, you know, like by, by interacting with, you know, almost 360 degree, 360 capes of the players, and maybe there's, there's things that you can sense in, in their, their movements and their motions ahead of time so that you, you increase that chance that you go in the right direction and then you have the chance of blocking that kick, right? Um, that's one mm-hmm. example on the sports side. And then the other one, the U.S. Olympic team trains their, their um, slalom uh, athletes in virtual reality. And, and this was an instant, a crazy fact that, that I learned from the, 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 I think like the technical director or the director of technology from the, the U.S. Olympic team, that people who, who participate in, in slalom, they're only able to actually take the slalom ride like three or four times a day. I guess it's too taxing on your body to do more than that. And so if you think about that, you know, somebody who's in the Olympics, they're training their whole life. They, you know, they spend hours and hours and hours, but then you actually on a daily basis, you can only train for your, you can only actually do your, your actual sport a few minutes a day. What is the training that you do the rest of the day? Right. And so like doing that training again and again and again and again in VR doesn't have that same physical impact on your body. Um, And you, and you, but you're improving your skills the whole time. Um, and football would be mm-hmm. another one, you know, you're only allowed, athletes are only allowed, and, and particularly, you know, at college or, or high school level, how many hours are you allowed out on the field? How many hours are you allowed in the sun? Um, and so, you know, that's, that's another place that is really relevant. So you, so you talked about those examples. Those are, those are great examples. And then, you know, you talked about uh, cruises and, you know, faraway destinations. Like it's, it's, it's a little bit almost similar to the, the real estate example that we talked about earlier. And even the, the, the example where you talked about you went to Egypt, you know, if you, what better way to, to show somebody what that tour is going to be like than put them into a virtual experience so that they get to feel what it's like and get inspired and, you know, hopefully are more likely to decide that they want to go on it. 
I remember the exhibit uh, to see the Mona Lisa, the line was crazy and it was just packed, right? And then finally, when you get up to it and you could barely get up to it because the room is packed, you have to stand behind a rope that's six feet away from this tiny <laughs> painting. And I imagine the Mona Lisa being much bigger than it is. And mm -hmm. then you see it like, and it's behind like, I think five inches of glass. So what you're <laughs> seeing is not even reality, I think. So if they were able to scan this one time, right? Scan yeah. it and then create a virtual exhibit that you can actually put on your headset, walk up to it really closely without fear of damaging the art or the art being stolen. Yeah. You can experience something like this. And I, I'm a big believer in this. Art has the ability to change, change you, to change your experience and to change your outlook. And so if more people are exposed to art in all forms, uh, even let's say the orchestra or the symphony or whatever it is, it's like, wow, we could be there and at a fraction of the cost it would take because you can produce the content once and experience it many, many times over. Absolutely. The Mona Lisa does exist. You can actually already go see it in virtual reality. It, it does, oh, it does. Exist. okay. It does, yeah. It's called Behind the Beautiful. Mona Lisa, Behind the Glass at the Louvre. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> so in the virtual reality version of it, is there no glass now? I'm going to guess there's no can glass. You, like, I don't really know if get I... close to it. I don't know why they would put the glass there. I don't know that I've... Right. I mean, it's either they're trying to recreate reality or give you an experience better than reality. Exactly. Like you yeah. still have to fight the crowd, you know, like, hey, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, no, I mean, I've definitely, I've seen the David in VR too. Um, I've seen yeah. the David in real life and then I've seen it in, in VR. And I, I, But although, you know what's funny? I think I had to wait in line to see the David in VR also. <laughs> <'cause they're... laughs> I mean, so you could just you could download art. it at home onto a headset, yeah. but I was I went to see it at a conference or at an That's event, hilarious. and I, I definitely had waited in line. <laughs> but I didn't have to fly to Italy, which you know, for better yeah, for, for yeah, at least you got you save yourself some time there. Yeah. But I also think live performances like Cirque du Soleil concerts can benefit from using VR technology to create an experience. Uh, that's augmented beyond what you can experience in reality because I know a lot of bands get really creative with their stage show and the the theatrics and the lighting and all that kind of stuff. Imagine if you capture that and then added things to it in a three-dimensional way that would go beyond anything that you could experience in real life. Yeah, those are they're all great ideas. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of bands who have been you know on the cutting edge of of you know, creating experiences for for their fans to feel like they're up close and personal. Um, or to have, you know, different angles or just much different level of access than they can have, you know, in regular life, non-virtual life. Yeah. Uh, I also think about the fantasy of flying and that would be so amazing. Yeah. Just to be able to fly. This is a childhood fantasy of mine, you know, oh gosh, if you could just fly, cause that's, you know, percentage of my dreams are just me imagining flying and that would be really cool. What percentage? I probably about 10% of my dreams, especially when I was a kid. I would invent like weird things to just jump on and fly. It was just both thrilling and exciting and trying to maintain the ability to stay off the ground. That's, I, I, what does, do you know what that means? I do not. Neither do, do I, you? but we'll have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when uh, there is an experience, um, so you're in LA uh, at Two-Bit Circus, which is not currently open, but hope, hopefully it will open again again soon once once the the, the state and, and you know, city um mandates are lifted um, and they have an experience there called birdly where you, you kind of climb onto this contraption and you mm. put your arms out like you're a bird and you put the headset on and then you fly and you actually like flap your arms and the whole thing wow so i got i have two quick questions for you because i'm being mindful of time here we're kind of coming to the end of the hour but 
the I've seen these theaters open up these virtual reality theaters and I'm thinking is this any good have you been to any of these things and is the is the rendering the fidelity of the images superb are we still kind of in that phase of getting there and not there yet when you say vr theaters do you mean like dreamscape or the void or uh, zero latency places like that you know two-bit circus that i just mentioned places like that around los angeles or or do you mean something else i think there's one in the uh, third street promenade and there's one in century city yes so in third street promenade it's it's called the void um, Mm -hmm. and they have really cool experiences avengers and star wars and ghostbusters and uh uh, Jumanji and then Dreamscape in Century City has also really amazing experiences they've won uh, around how to train your dragons and then they have a, a couple of other really cool ones one that you go called the blue where you go scuba diving and you go um you scuba diving one they've won this kind of like a Raiders of the Lost Ark experience adventure one and then they have another one uh where it's almost like a Jurassic meets meets Avatar you're kind of in in this natural world and it has an, a beautiful environmental message um and dreamscape actually uses our hp reverb headsets um so yeah the the quality is really good um the you know it's it's um and it's it, it's the it, but it, what's what's great about them is that, you know these are the the teams that are behind them are really strong storytellers with really strong backgrounds you know in the, in the dreamscape for example it's walter parks who was an academy award-winning producer with from minority report and men in black among you know many other many other um, great films and then they have the ceo is bruce vaughn who was the chief creative officer of disney imagineers for 25 years so they're you know bringing together really strong they have spielberg as an, an investor as well as three or four of the big Hollywood studios. So they're bringing, um, you know, and, and Void has a similar, you know, very, very strong background and of, of cre- creativity. Even, they even have a magician who's one of the co-founders and is, so they use like tricks of magic. Um, and so, and they they do a lot of work with with Disney and, and you know, getting accessing Disney content and not working with ILM. So it, definitely in all in all of these, these companies, they, they take, the technology and use the technology to create amazing experiences for you to go to with your family and friends and be incredibly entertained and immersed and blown away, um, you know, and just have a really fun time. So yeah, so when they reopen, you should definitely go. Yes, I will. You've convinced me. I was a little reluctant. Like I've, I've used these headsets before. They're uncomfortable. Like I wear glasses. So wearing something over my glasses is never a fun experience for me. Mm-hmm. But you convinced me. I'm going to give it a try and kind of see how immersive this is because it it has the potential to be truly one of the most like deepest ways you can experience something outside of doing it. Absolutely. And actually in the Dragons one, a dreamscape, you definitely get to fly. The How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> I'm going to do that one <laughs> and finally get to experience that while I'm away. No, 10% of your dreams since childhood is an awful lot of dreams. We need to get you flying. Well, in my childhood, yes. I, I don't know why. I was trying to get away from something, I think. But okay, so here's the last question for you. We've been talking a lot about what people are doing, the potential, the tools that you need to experience it. But what about development tools? Are the tools there? Is it really hard, expensive, difficult to make content that is suited for virtual reality? Um, so is it hard to make the content? I mean, you know, compared to say making a YouTube video, I mean, you certainly need, need additional skills, but I think that, you know, there, there are different roles that you can have in the content creation process. I mean, mo- most virtual, you can either have a 
computer graphics, you know, CG content that runs off either Unity or Unreal. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I think that the, those companies have done a really good job of, of making their tools accessible, especially even during this time. I think Unity is offering some free tools for people to brush up on their skills during this time. Um, so, you know, learning that skill set is, is really important. And then if you're using some, some more like live action, your three, 360, 360 content, you know, you're, then you're, then you're creating that, that pipeline, um, you know, to, to build, build the content. So, um, I mean, it's definitely a different, somewhat, somewhat of a different skill set, but people come into virtual reality from animation, from gaming, from engineering, from traditional television and video production and bring their skill sets to this new field and, you know, make themselves that much more employable by, by adding on and, you know, adding on a deeper skill set and preparing themselves for the future. Um, so I, so I think it's, it's, you know, real using real time tools like unity and Unreal are really important for the future of media and entertainment, um, and, and learning about interactivity and some of, some of the, 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 important things that gaming brings into, into the world. So I, I would say that for anyone who's working in this field, starting to gain those skill sets now is, is incredibly important for, for longevity and for, you know, to, to future proof yourself. Okay. I lied. I have one more question. For you. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. What, what is the future of VR the next couple of years? Look into your crystal ball and tell me what it's going to be like. Well, the, you, know, you know, I said earlier, we see that we see this as the future of computing. So what that means is, you know, today where most people are probably staring at their phone, listening to this, staring at their phone or, you know, a, a tablet of some form, you know, that we're in this mobile era um, or maybe not staring at it, but they, you know, they have a strap to them or, 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 or um, and, but there will be a, a point in the not too distant future where computing moves away from where we are today, you know, staring at these little, little bricks to smart glasses where, you know, we're interacting with the, you know, the screens that are, in, that become in front of our eyes through smart glasses. And the glasses are, you know, powered by, maybe by a phone, maybe by edge computing, maybe, you know, maybe by wireless, you know, there'll, there'll be lots and lots of, uh, you know, continued advancement in, in this area. But that's where we see this industry going. And you'll be able to have the experience that you would have today inside a virtual reality headset with some sort of smart glasses that hope you know will be fashion forward as well as functional. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. My name is Joanna Popper and you are listening to the future. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you're new to the future and want to know more about our educational mission, visit thefuture.com. You'll find more podcast episodes, hundreds of YouTube videos, and a growing collection of online courses and products covering design and business. Oh, and we spell the future with no E. The Future Podcast is hosted by Christo and produced by me, Greg Gunn. This episode was mixed and edited by Anthony Barrow with intro music by Adam Sanborn. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It's a tremendous help in getting our message out there. And, you know, let's us know what you like. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.